We live between the now and the not yet. We live our lives with, with one foot in, in the present and what we live and experience and, and all the things going on in our life and the world. And, and yet we live with another foot in what we hope will be. What we love to see happen, what we dream about taking place. We, we do this with all kinds of things in life. Uh, uh, an actress has a, a great performance and yet when it's done, there is a hope, a dream, a desire to, to, to be even better and to perform in, in an even bigger venue. To see even more take place through their career. As parents, we... We have good days and bad days, and in our good days, we're excited about being the kind of parents that we hope we would be, but we also know that, if truth be told, there is so much more we could be. You're probably sitting here this morning thinking, I'm living and sitting in this heat, and I would love to have the not yet of it being cool and not have, and have air conditioning in here, but obviously that's not going to be the case today. We have all kinds of things in our lives where we live with one foot in the now and and one foot in the not yet. And in the midst of that, there is this sense of how do we live and and really how do we we interact with God as, as we try to figure out this tension? There's something of this that Paul is addressing as he writes this eighth eighth chapter to the church at Rome. And they're going through difficulties. He's talking, he talks in the earlier part of the chapter about the sufferings they're going through and and the difficulties they're facing. And they are living in some of the concerns and the struggles of now with this dream of living in the not yet. And Paul says that all of creation is groaning for the not yet. Christians are groaning for the not yet. We live in in a world in in which creation is being destroyed, not protected and taken care of. The the image in my mind is is in the Lord of the Rings. And and as you see the destruction of Middle Earth, as the army is being prepared and they're ripping out trees and it's just darkness and it's mud and, and there's nothing of beauty at all. All of that to have power and, and to conquer the world. And, and, and we live in a world that looks like that. We live in a world of, of injustice and pain. We live in a world in which people who have the most keep getting more. The powerful keep getting more power. The rich get richer. The haves keep having more. And the common and the vulnerable and the innocent and the weak are trampled on over and over again. And we groan for the not yet. We groan for that to change. I mean, what Royal Family Kids Camp does is awesome. It's a tremendous organization. And we are so excited to be a part of what happens at Royal Family Kids Camp. But there's something in me that wishes for a world where we didn't need Royal Family Kids Camp. We lived in a world where children were not abused and neglected. In a world where injustice wasn't the default for so many people. In a world where children are cared for and loved the way God intends. It's as though we live in a world of photographic negative. Where what's light, supposed to be light is dark and what's supposed to be dark is light. And, 
And if that doesn't resonate you, because we don't really have photographic negatives much anymore, um, maybe uh, the other thing I thought about was if you're if you're in a in, in a database and you, and you've checked off fifteen boxes, the things that you want that are important to you, it's as though someone else went up to the the edit menu and clicked invert selection, and everything is switched around. And we live in that kind of world in which we groan for, for more. We groan to see it change. And so often we don't see it. And as Christians, he says, we groan to, be, to reach the fullness and experience all that it means to be adopted as children of God. To know the joy and the peace and the blessing and, and to know God intimately and to understand God. And yet we live in a world where all of that seems to evade us. And we groan for it. We wish for it. We yearn for it. We live in a fallen world. Because of the, because of the, the sin that entered the world, because of our weakness, our self-centeredness, our ignorance of God, we, we miss so much of who God is. Because of our, our experiences, because of the way we may have been trained, we have so many false images of God. David Siemens talked, I heard him talk once about, actually a few times, about when we were created and when, we, when, we relate, when our first father and mother were created and, and related to God, they had perfect receptors. It's as though you see someone with antenna out of, sticking out of their head and they're straight and they're perfect and everything God says, we understand exactly as God means it. But when sent into the world, our receptors were damaged. They were twisted and bent and broken. And now God still speaks the same message. We just don't hear it the way he intends it. And we end up with all kinds of false images of God. And J.B. Phillips talks about some of these false images of God in his wonderful book, Your God is Too Small. And he talks about, he might not use these exact terms, but he talks about uh, the gotcha God. Or I'm sorry, the legal God is first, the legal God. Hey, this God is the one who keeps an accounting of everything that we do. And he's got a ledger, all the good things we do and the bad things we do. And we better hope that when we get to the end of it, the good outweighs the bad. And God's keeping an accounting of every little thing. And you have the gotcha God who's like the state trooper that's parked in, in, the, in the weeds by the side of the highway just waiting for a speeder to go by so he can turn on the siren and go get us. And there's the, the CEO God who's so busy running the world, so busy with all the things that need to go on. He doesn't have any time for us. He doesn't care about us. We don't really matter to him anyway. God's only concerned about the people who have power and influence, the people who can do something with this world, not common people like us. There's the Pharaoh God who's continually piling on more and more work and expecting the same results. We can never measure up. Like the Israelites in Egypt Pharaoh says, I need you to put these many bricks onto the building. And then he says, now you got to go, you got you to make your own bricks and put the same amount on the building. And then he says, you have to gather your own straw, make your own bricks and still put the same amount on the building. And it's as though we, with God, we have this mindset that we get close to what God wants, we think, and then God ups the ante. We never can quite measure up. And there is what I call the Scrooge God, who's... Existence is to suck out of our lives joy 
and to take away from us experiences of, of joy in this life. And we have this, all of these false images of God because of the sin that's in our world and the experiences of sin that we've encountered in our own weakness and sin. And in the midst of all of that, we, have a, we struggle to know how do we relate to God and specifically how do we pray to God? Because we live in the now where everything is a mess and we, have, we hear God talking about this dream of, of what will be and we're not seeing it. And we don't know exactly how to bridge the gap. We know that prayer has something to do with it, but we don't know what. And Paul says, we don't even know how to pray. We wrestle with how to pray. We wrestle with knowing what is God's will about how we pray. And so we come to, to things in life where we're wondering about God's will. Should I take this job or that job? Should I... Should I buy, we buy this house or that house? As a church, should we move forward with this vision or wait? As a parent or of an adult child or, or as someone with someone that we deeply love and we see them making decisions, leading them down a path that we're sure is going to be destruction, do we step in and rescue them or do we back off and let them go? We're continually wrestling with those decisions and it creates anxiety and confusion and and worry in us. Are we doing the will of God? Are we following the will of God? And we don't even know sometimes how to pray about it because our hearts are so torn and we struggle. And Paul says, in those moments, you need to understand that the Spirit is helping you. The Spirit is interceding for you with groans that words can't express. When he talks about the Spirit helping us, it's not just the Spirit putting his arm around us and saying, well, I hope things go well for you. That word has the meaning of not just coming alongside, but taking the burden. It's the word that's used in Exodus and Numbers when Moses is struggling under the weight of leading Israel and and he is hearing every single case that the Israelites have. It's two million people. And every one of them is coming to Moses. And his father-in-law comes to visit one day and he says, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You need some help. Find some people who you trust and let them make a lot of the decisions. And Moses appoints 70 elders and they take the burden off of Moses. It's the word that Martha uses in the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel. Jesus is at their home, Mary Martha's home, and, and he's, he's teaching, and Mary's sitting at his feet, taking it all in, and Martha's in the kitchen, slaving away, and she's starting to get irritated, and she comes out, she says to Jesus, don't you care? You tell my sister to help me. You tell my sister to take some of the burden off of me. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit takes that burden off of us. When we feel weighed down in this tension of the now and the not yet, when we're wondering about what exactly God's will is, what do we do? We don't even know how to pray sometimes. The Holy Spirit comes and helps us. I'm fascinated that Paul uses the same word. He talks about the Spirit groaning. He says earlier, it's creation groans, we groan. Now he says the Spirit groans, but I don't think they are the same. I don't think they mean, he's meaning the same thing because our groaning is because of our weakness and our ignorance and our sinfulness. That's not the Spirit's problem. The Spirit's the Trinity, part of the Trinity, and it's God, and, and he understands all things. There is no ignorance or weakness in the Spirit. 
And it's not as though he's saying that God only hears prayers that are prayed perfectly. That you and I don't know how, really don't know how to pray. And God only hears prayers that are said exactly right. And so the Spirit has to come along and pray our prayers for us in exactly the right language, in exactly the right way, or God won't hear us. I don't think that's what he means. I think Paul is trying to help us understand that the Spirit groans with us. He identifies with us in our pain, in our struggle, in all that we are feeling about living in this world of not yet. And yearning and groaning for what God has promised. The Spirit understands The Spirit identifies with us. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. He takes upon Himself our pain and our struggles. I have spent many hours with people, some of you, who have experienced the agony of the death of a spouse. And I have sat in living rooms and kitchens and waiting rooms and hospital rooms, listening and praying and caring. And people have been very appreciative of that. But I have also watched someone enter the picture, either come into the room or at another time, come into this person's life who has been through the experience of the death of a spouse and see a connection made that I simply can't make because they identify, they understand, they know. And Paul is saying to us, the spirit knows our pain. The spirit is taking on himself our agony and our struggle and our difficulties and he is interceding for us. When we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to pray, When we can't shape the words, when they're in our hearts, but we just simply cannot get them out. And we don't even know what, can't even explain what's in our hearts. The Spirit understands and the Spirit cares and the Spirit prays. Just as Christ comes incarnate in human flesh to be one of us, the Spirit identifies with us. And our response to the Spirit is to pray for God's will in such a way that even though we don't see, not yet, we trust the Spirit right now. That the Spirit is with us, caring for us, loving us, helping us, taking the burden off of us. He talks in in verse 25 about... He said, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And hope and trust are are really synonymous terms in the New Testament. We sort of think of hope as, oh, I hope I get this. But in New Testament terms, the word hope means to believe. It means to trust. It's putting our faith and our weight upon what it's talking about. And here he says this, we wait in hope for the Spirit. The Spirit is with us and we can trust the Spirit. So what does is, what is trusting the Spirit look like? 
We talk a lot about trusting God, surrendering to God, wanting God's will for our lives. But often what we really want is what we want. Years ago, I remember reading a story about a woman who, who, shared, who uh, sold medical equipment to hospitals and she traveled all up and down the East Coast. And she was in New York City one day and she was trying to find a hospital. Couldn't remember where it was. This is the days before GPS and you know, those kinds of things. And, and she stopped her car and she, there was a construction worker by, by the road. She stopped, she got out, she said, do you know where this, this hospital is? And he said, yeah, you go down five blocks, turn left, go down three blocks and turn right. And she said, I don't think so. I think it's that way. I said, okay, well, ask somebody who gives you the directions you like. (laughs) You know, I I think we're like that with God. You know, instead of surrendering to say, okay, God, this is your direction. This is where you're leading me. This is where I'll go. We're saying, well, Lord, I want what you want, but I really want you to, what you want to be what I want. So what does it look like to trust the spirit? Something of surrender? Something of waiting and hoping and believing. And when we do that, the Spirit comes out of us. The fruit of the Spirit is not something we develop. It's simply the result of opening our lives to the Spirit. So that out of us comes love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, love, self-control. These are the things that come out of us when the Spirit is in us. We become different people. I was driving back from Warsaw this week, and you know I, I tend to be a pretty impatient driver. And uh, you know, on those roads, there's no place to pass anyone on those roads. It's either a curve or a hill, the whole, virtually the whole trip, right? And, and you know, I was driving along, and 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 there's person, of course, invariably there's someone in front of me, and they're not going the speed I want them to go. They're probably going 54, and I wanted them to go 56 or 7 or 8 or 9. And, you know, and I'm lamenting that, and I have, I'm listening to music, and I'm actually singing along. And, and, I, and all of a sudden, I realized that I was singing along with what was on my iPod. It was the song, For the Beauty of the Earth. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, and I'm talking about the, God's creation. And it says, though God tapped me on the shoulder and said, you do realize what's happening here, Right? You're driving along and you are passing by all of this beautiful creation that I've made. But you can't see it because you're irritated at the person in front of you driving two miles an hour slower than you want them to. And I realized that I was just so wrapped up in me and not in seeing God. And we do that in a variety of ways. We miss so much of what God wants to do in us and show us because we're so focused on ourselves instead of on Him. And people who are filled with the Spirit and surrender to the Spirit are thinking more about what God is leading and what God wants and what God is doing than about us. And when we begin to understand that, when we begin to live in the Spirit then when, Paul, when we read what Paul says about God working all things together for good, those words are no longer a cliche, but become the promise of the one who controls all things, now and not yet. And we begin to understand that the one who works all things together for good is the one who loves us. I was fascinated that Mike said this morning that Eight, verse 38 was their scripture this week. 
It's about the one who, for whom nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing in this world, none of the struggles and the pains and the uncertainties and the confusion and all the ways in which we struggle to pray for the will of God, none of those things can separate us from God and God is in control and his control means he is always working things for good. We may not see it, we may not understand it, we may not really grasp it until that day, but we can trust that this, that's what God is doing. Because when you boil it all down, praying about the will of God is really not so much about praying about these things that are right in front of us. What should we do? What should we not do? Because praying the will of God is asking for God to make our hearts like His. Praying the will of God is about, this, about the cosmic plan of God to redeem people and to change people. And to cause people to know him. And we often get so wrapped up in knowing God. And knowing the will of God. That we miss the call to know God. And actually sometimes in the way we envision it. Praying the will of God can actually be detrimental to knowing God. Because all we're looking for is an answer. All we're looking for is God to tell us what to do and then we go move on. And God wants us not to know about him, not to know what he wants, but to know him. And to be filled with his spirit. And when that happens, we don't have to worry about praying God's will. We just trust the spirit. We pray for what God wants and we live our lives free from the confusion and the anxiety and the worry. We live in the Spirit. And the Spirit controls us and fills us and transforms us. And that's why coming to this table is so important. Because at this table, we are reminded... We encounter the one whose love, nothing, who's, for whose love nothing can separate us. We come to this table and the bread and the cup remind us that God gave himself for us. And that God's purposes for us are so much greater and so much bigger than what we can see. And at this table, the elements whisper loud and clear... God is for us. God is with us. We can rest in him because we can trust him. Heavenly Father, we come today wrestling with your will. Most of the time, we, we know what your will is. Our struggle is believing, embracing, and doing. We ask that you would forgive us. Father, help us to be more concerned with knowing you than knowing your will. 
Help us to be encouraged by the presence and the prayers of your spirit. Open our eyes to your ultimate will for us, that we would know and embrace your all-encompassing, unshakable love for us. We know there are many of us and many in our lives who are groaning about the difficulties of life that seem to continually confront us. In this moment of silence, we give each of our burdens and each of the burdens of those we love to you. Father, we pray for our world. Thank you for the rain that we received overnight. We pray that the rain would continue to come in this country and in other places of the world where the ground is dry and barren. We thank you for your love and compassion toward our needy world. We ask that you would rescue all who are enslaved. We pray that you will protect children and the most vulnerable from harm. And where evil reigns, we pray that you would bring it down. And where goodness is desired, lift it up. We pray, Father, for Jessica. And we thank you for the calling you placed on her life. And we ask that you will continue to bless her and her ministry. May these weeks back here be refreshing and restorative to her. And as she returns to New Zealand, we pray that she will be filled anew with your spirit and your power and your grace. Bless her witness and her life. We pray for our church that we would desire you and that we would desire you alone in all that we do. We pray that the DNA of this congregation would be yours. As we claim and embrace our adoption as daughters and sons, let us know your peace and your grace and your mercy that we would trust you more fully to know you even more. Father, we thank you for all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray, Father, that it would be food for our souls and that you would accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us. Send your Holy Spirit upon us and on these gifts that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ. We may be holy, one body in him, cleansed by his blood, that we may faithfully serve him in this world, looking forward to his coming in final victory. We pray this through Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 